As a proud supporter of Parkinson's UK, the Focus on Why podcast is supporting this charity by including their Time for Can campaign in this episode. Can't work, can't walk, can't taste, can't talk, can't move, can't eat, can't remember, can't sleep, can't finish, feel ashamed, can't smile through the pain, can't stop the voices, can't make it stop. Parkinson's, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. There is no cure. Yet we can fund, can fight, can discover, can unite, can transform, can live, can change, can give, can slow, can stop, can reverse, can cure. We can do, but we can't do it without you. Parkinson's UK. Together we can find a cure. Donate now at parkinsons.org.uk. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question. Why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Tom Liebelt all the way from Chiang Mai. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, it's an interesting conversation. You're in the mountains across the world and here I am on a sort of fairly dreary day in London. Yeah, that sounds like London. That definitely sounds like London. A couple of times I stopped through at the airport. Yeah, that was pretty much the view. Yeah. I mean, I hear it's a great city, but yeah, the, the weather just doesn't, yeah, doesn't doesn't really pull me in. So let's let's sort of give a little bit of context into why you're where you are and what you're up to. So I've been in business since I can remember. Um made a lot of pivots. Um, but the main thing that I wanted to do around maybe seven, eight years ago is separate my job because that's what it is. My business is sort of a job. I have to work from my location. Like before I wanted to separate my work from the time, right? So I don't have to always work um, for a certain amount of time, like, you know, trade money for time. But then it was location. And initially I went to Europe because that's where I was originally from, um, just to test my business and kind of see other people who are doing the same thing. And, you know, this, this happened in Berlin. Uh, I went to a conference and it was my first couple of weeks just trying to stress uh, test my business. And then I you know realized that their, their main conference was in Bangkok. So I came to Asia, came to Thailand. I was traveling all over. I slow traveled through like 13 countries, I think. And then I found the ones I liked the most and I kind of started settling down. So I spend about six months a year in Thailand now, three in the States and three in Europe, depending on the weather. Like I kind of follow that. And depending on pandemics. Well, with the pandemics, you know, like I told you before the call, worst case scenario, I go by the beach down south for three, four months and then come up by the mountains for three, four months and then go by the beach again. Like that's the worst case scenario. I can't complain. So what is it you're doing in Thailand? What's your work? Officially nothing. I'm a tourist. (laughs) (laughs) I won't say anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I still run the marketing company I have in the States. Um, Like my team's been remote all over the world for the last maybe seven, eight years. So really nothing changed with the pandemic for how my business is being run. Um, 
Yeah, zero difference for me. That's that's how I've been running it for a long time. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty much doing the same thing I've been just running the business and trying to enjoy my days and, you know, make sure the weather is nice. That's like the main thing. The weather needs to be nice outside and I enjoy everything. So that's great. So you you don't trade money now for anything. You've got the location, you've got that, you've got the time now as well. You've got the flexibility there. So why was it why was it important for you to really focus on those two things? I was born in Poland, right? So let's start with the location. With the location. Um, everyone's dream that left Poland for America was to make a lot of money in the States and come back and live like a king. That was everyone's dream. I thought, what if I could make money in the States constantly and then come back to Poland and, you know, live even better because it's not savings. I'm just making, you know, the money, which translates better. But I did that after about 20 years of not being in the country. And I realized I only like it two months out of the year. <laughs> and then and I'm like, okay, yeah. What if I can just live anywhere? Let's just stop this, you know, location dependence and, and forget Poland because it's only good for a little bit. What if I can just live anywhere? So that was my location um, challenge. And with the time, uh, anyone that's ever worked with clients or has had a job that they don't enjoy very much and have to clock in, clock out, they will know that feeling where, oh, if you could only just separate that from making money. Don't have to, you know, clock into a job. Don't have clients start trying to take a piece of your soul that you can just do something else where, you know, like customers are great, clients, not so much. So it was that concept of what if I build something once and then sell it multiple times? That was that, that challenge for me. So those two, that's kind of how they worked out. I worked with clients a lot initially. And after a couple of years of that, like I loved my clients, but we just had to go our separate ways. <laughs> that's what I felt like. It's just, it's just too much. And, and with work, you know, you're always building someone else's dream. And in Europe, it's a little better. But in the States, like, I remember I had this one job and I did outside sales, right? Which was around New York, you know, weather not very good. Um, I have to be out every single day, winter, blizzards. They would not give you days off. Obviously, you get sick from that. No sick days. So after, you know, months and months of that, I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. It's not normal. You know, we'd have like three vacation days per year. And that's what kind of like gave me that initial anger and motivation to go up on my own. And after that, you know, with dealing with clients, I was like, yeah, this is great. But I just made myself a crappy job now because I'm still, you know, kind of doing the same thing. Just have multiple bosses now. And so, yeah, it kind of like moved, you know, in like in that direction. So it all came down to anger, frustration. Like I've, I've, I've always wanted to run a business. And in my 20s, I had a record store. And then I went into the audio engineering world because I kind of wanted to do something with music. But um, uh, that industry didn't seem so great after I got, in, got, I got into it. So I wanted to go back in business. But there was a moment where I realized to really run a business, you need to know how to sell. 
if you can't sell, you're just not in business. That's like the basic part of it. So my goal was to get hired by different sales companies, learn how to sell, get trained by them, hit the streets, the phones, whichever, you know, like whatever the method was, get as good as I can, leap to the next company. So I did that for like, I think four years and eight companies. I thought it was a win-win. They didn't, but I, you know, I, like I had my own, um, idea, but one of the last companies, you know, like sometimes even when you have an exit, like, you, you know, there's a ending to this, but you're going through the day to day. And I just realized how miserable that is, you know, like having that, that job that you can't control anything about your life. And that just made me like want to succeed in business even more. Like I knew I'm ending the job at some point, like, you know, but it just gave me that kind of that motivation that, that, that fuel I needed. Cause you know, I've run businesses before when I was younger. So I know, um, external motivation won't take you very far because business is hard. So I stayed in that job as long as I possibly could to just get so upset that I knew I'm going to remember this for a long time. And I did for about six years. It drove me, um, through everything. Like I was like, yeah, well, at least I'm not at that job. But that's kind of, it was sort of pre-planned. But you still get that same emotion by being around those people and having that type of job. So it, it definitely worked. And so with your mismatch of values during that time, which, which drove you to, to understanding why it was so important for you to make that shift and, and take your, yourself on another journey, where are you now? Very far from that. Very far. Like in the beginning, um, it, it was more about just not being broke. You know, there's nothing worse than working for a company. You have a good position, they say, right? You're working all the time and you can barely afford anything. And I'm like, this is insane. I'm working for some of the big, biggest corporations in the world and I can barely afford to, to have any savings, right? So that anger and that why initially, you know, took me through that after having my own business and like the last, I don't know, seven or eight pivots and actually having enough money in the bank, you know, did stopped driving me, you know, like you can't say, you know, you don't want to be broke when you're not broke anymore. It doesn't really work. So I had to find a different why. And, and lately it's just making sure my parents don't have to worry about anything like that. That drives me more than anything right now. It'll probably change. But I think you all need to look like inside of yourself and see like what's important to you now. Like what can be that internal motivation, you know? And and that's what it was for me. But like you know, it could be something else for for other people. No, I think you're right. I mean, you you're mentioning that your your why has evolved as you have, and also the the shift in in the circumstances as you get older. Obviously, your parents are getting older, and yeah. and your need their needs are very different. Yeah, I can definitely see that too. Because when I don't see them very often, you know. So when you come back and see some people like every one or two years, the changes are more noticeable than if you're around them all the time, right? So I'm like, yeah, they're definitely looking older now. They're starting to retire, you know, like my mom retired, my dad's still not. But, you know, just that, I'm like, yeah. Then I looked at how my grandparents lived 
you know, on, on the government support and the pensions and they could barely afford anything. And I'm like, I, I just can't have them worry about money at the time when they can finally relax. Like they're supposed to relax, you know, they're, they're like 65, it's their time now. And I'm looking at Americans because that, that's all I really know. And most of the older people, they just can't. They can't stop working. They can't really enjoy their lives. Like very little population can. And I looked at my parents. I was like, let me at least make sure they don't have to worry about that. And, you know, they'll, they'll kind of check off that box that I didn't, you know, let them down. So it's an interesting point you make that people are so focused on the current. They don't think about necessarily the future. And also, as you say, they're at the really living within their means and they don't have any savings so they're not planning for the future they're not thinking about those uncomfortable conversations to have now to become comf more comfortable later you, you made you've made that decision how did you sort of recognize that that was an issue for you like i've always read a lot of psychology and economics books and i've started seeing what's been happening around the world especially in america in the last maybe two decades where the system is not designed to let people to kind of enjoy anything. You know, they want you working and hopefully brainwashed the entire time. And I've seen the people around me. I've seen, you know, what's happening with the older population, you know, working at Amazon. I think there's like 300,000 people now living in RVs in America. And a lot of them are elders because they can't afford an actual place to live. And, they're migrating based on jobs. I'm like, come on, just, these people are like 68, 69. They have to travel the world and live in RVs just to get a little bit of work. I'm like, that's insane. And I figured if I had a job, I wouldn't be able to help them with anything because I could barely, you know, like I said, I worked all the time, could have, couldn't afford anything. But the thing with business is you can control your income. And a big part of what stops you from making more is just mindset, procrastination, and not taking risks. So you need that stronger why to kind of override those. But the main thing was, you know, when I looked at my parents, and my dad's always worried about money. Coming from Poland, from the communists, like, I, I don't blame him. You know, working his whole life, like, he, he can't save much. So I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, he whines a little too much. But when I looked at my mom, too, I was like, they'll never be able to afford nice vacations, you know? So I've done that. I sent them to Hawaii. I sent them to Italy, to Poland. Like I've, I've done that. And you know, it's, it's the least I can do, but I know they could not pull it off um, by themselves. And that's sad, you know? So just, it was just more looking at how the system is working and how it's broken. And I was like, well, I, I got to step in. No one else will. So did they, did they move from Poland to America and raise you there? Yeah, yeah. When I was around 10, um, they, they moved me up there and I've been working full-time jobs ever since. And they did, you know, accomplish a few things, but I remember how much they had to kind of save and, you know, like they wouldn't buy good food. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't then get new clothes. Like they, they had to put all the money in just to, you know, build a house. Like it, it was, it's crazy when you think about it you know, spending your whole life limiting yourself 
and not enjoying it just to get a couple things. And then you're 65 and you can't stop. Like it's, it's just, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. So th those things really, you know, changed my why, because I was like, this is crazy when I look at what's happening to them. And I sense that there's a bigger mission behind this. It's not just for your parents. I mean, it's not, but look, I'm, I'm not really into politics, so I can't, you know, I'm not going to save the world. Um, I'm, I'm just not that, that person. Um, but I do try to make sure like my, you know, closest family and friends are handled and, and I want to make sure I get myself in a good spot too, very soon, you know, probably by making some kind of an exit where I just don't have to think about the retirement money anymore. Cause I'm not counting on the government. Um, but that itself will give me more about ability to kind of help, you know, some others, but like I said, closer to me, I'm not, you know, like, uh, one of those, like, I'm going to start a charity, guys. Like, it's, you know, I'm, I'm more thinking about my own circle. But it's, you know, that's, that's what I can do. And yet, you're on the podcast here sharing your thoughts. And actually, that will awaken the thoughts in other people. So you are sort of, the ripple effect is happening with, without you realizing. Yeah, and that's the reasons I, um, I get on podcasts. Because I think of myself when I was especially, like, 20. Right. And we didn't have podcasts back then. We read biographies or really famous people. And, and I like, I thought about it, but look, like you can't follow someone's path. You know, like you can read all these maps that they drone out, like, Oh, I got here because of this. I've done that. And I quickly realized I can't, like I read Bill Gates's, you know, uh, biography and I was like, well, my dad's not a lawyer. I don't have $200,000 to put into it. Like, I don't have that connection to get on computers where no one else can. Like, I don't have any of that. So it was like nice reading it, but it didn't make any sense. And what I like to kind of put through on the podcast, that you can be someone like me who came from nothing. I didn't have connections. I also never looked at gatekeepers. I always found my own way. But you can still make it happen. You know, it's not out of reach. You might not be a Bill Gates, but you can definitely live very comfortable. Make sure closest people to you are comfortable. You can you can still make an impact, um, you know, without having all these, like, uh, I would say, not really hand-me-downs, but like, you know, those opportunities that some people have. And with podcasting, it definitely opened up. Like you hear now of normal people, you know, immigrants or like someone that came from a broke family and they're still... They're doing well. And that gives me, you know, and I think other people more hope than anything else. And you mentioned, Tom, that you made sort of seven or eight pivots in your transition from business. How do you know what's, what's working and what's not working? What sort of metrics do you use there? You know, that's very difficult because it depends on the person. Like for me, well, obviously, you got to make a profit in the business, right? You know, but then often you will put yourself in a place where you have a job you hate. And I see so many business people do that. And I've done it many times. There's other times where we look for shortcuts. You know, we do hustles. Oh, I can quickly make money here. I can quickly make money there. And those always end too. So you're kind of forced to pivot. And often doing the long way is actually quicker than the five hustles you're going to do, the five shortcuts, right? So the pivots came from basically me having no one to guide me. 
you know, like the stuff I knew in school and I've seen when I was younger, I had to unlearn all of that. So, but I'm, you know, the main thing is it's possible Like you can still pull it off, you know, but it's, a, there's no like one way for any of us. Like we all have to, you know, find our path. You know, if things are not working fine, then figure out what's going to work and maybe try that. If you hate your job, then be like, well, maybe in the next business, I'm going to make some constraints and put those in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. Like for me, some of them are like, well, I don't want to be doing sales in person anymore because that ties me to a location. I don't want to do phone calls after 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. because then I start hating my life and I can't get you know sleep. I don't want to talk with my team for more than 30 minutes a, a week. Like there's just different things I did to make sure that I, I'm creating like a, a job that I actually enjoy. And, you know, you, you have to look at yourself to figure that out. But putting constraints in place often will cause you to pivot again because you're like, well, this business isn't going to work out. You know, and then you got to think like, am I going to take it easy again? Take the easy way out? Or move forward with something else? And how often do you review your values and your sort of your own internal rules that you've created? I think I do it around six months, every six months, or when something happens. And that something is either an external or an internal thing. Like sometimes you will, you know, be in the grind for so long and then start realizing like, I'm just so tired lately. I'm not enjoying this anymore. And you often find that you start doing things which weren't really a part of the plan. Maybe someone said, oh, you got to be on social media all the time and you got to start posting on there. And then you realize, well, I'm not actually getting much sales from that. All it does is make me annoyed and aggravated. And then you start questioning like, but do I really have to be on social media? Or maybe can I do something where I'm just going to use a Facebook news eradicator, right? Because the news is what annoys me. I just go into my group, post three times a week and leave. That's okay, right? But you create systems that get you back on track. And I, I find that happens quite a bit. You know, like I'll start forgetting about, you know, my initial plan. And then I'll start doing things that, oh, this seems like a good idea. Let's try this. And eventually I'm like, yeah, I, I need to slow down and figure it out. And then I drop almost everything and go back to what's working. And you mentioned that you read a lot of books in e the economics and, and psychology fields. Have there been any sort of bigger inspirations that have guided you? There's, there's small things that come out of these books. You know, usually it's just an idea that you'll find. Like some of the biographies, I started seeing how people work with systems. And that's what I've kind of uh, used for myself instead of goals I really look at systems based work you know I, I stopped thinking about hustling as a way to run a business um, it, it really depends like it, it depends on where you are at your, in your life too you know you might read the same book twice and then find like one thing kind of sticks out and then the last time you didn't even notice it but it's usually about just small ideas that I try to take out um if there's a book on behavior, um, which I read a lot of those, um, because it ties into marketing, I take those ideas down and we'll test them with advertising and other things. Like we'll just run paid, ad, paid ads and figure out that most of it is nonsense. 
Yeah, that's that's what I found at least. Like there's been so many things that they said, oh, this works and that works. And we've used it and we're like, no. And then we did the opposite and it worked. So we just kind of rolled it down. But then again, you try it three more times and you get different results again. And you start being like, well, okay, maybe I don't know anything again. So it's it's definitely not as easy as um as some people make it out to be like, oh, just read this book, follow this, you know, um method and you'll make it. And it doesn't work like that. And actually, it can be a distraction from from what you're actually setting out to do. It's actually a huge distraction, um, especially like the recent business books. The one thing you need to understand about the book industry is that unless you have a big platform, they don't usually let you write a book. So there's usually an agenda behind it. Either it's to move you to do something or a speaker basically needs to put a book out to drive sales for the next year for their gigs, right? And I've seen this over and over. So like I was joking with a friend the other day, he's like, hey, Tom, you know, I started getting into fiction again. You know, kind of settles me down. I was like, yeah, I've been reading fiction for a while too. It's called business books. <laughs> because that's what it really is. <laughs> So, I mean, there are some which are good, you know, some of the older books, I think. Um, if you hear people in industries for the last 30 years mention a book, yeah, that's maybe something you should take a look at. But like the new ones I find mostly are, are a waste of time. And you're like, you think you're accomplishing something. But yeah, like you said, it's a complete distraction. You're not working on your business. I think with the advent of self-publishing as well, that has made it more accessible for people just to literally push out anything. Yeah, but again, most of those are agenda-based, right? You know, it's, it's the whole content marketing. Like, well, if you want to become an authority, an influencer, and get people through, you should write a book, and then you should get them into your online course, and then you should, you know, like there's a, all those books are nonsense. Anytime I see a book that's trying to get me to do something, there's an agenda behind it. It's, it's, I use put it in the fiction category. But unfortunately, that's usually the book. So like some of the people I know um, are actually taking years off from like, I'm not reading anything new. I'm going to reread some of the best books again. So, and I think it's a, actually a pretty good habit and, you know, um, way to live. Like you don't need all that new stuff. And it's interesting that you, you sort of talk about the influence that we have in terms of how much noise we, we receive all the time. And it's very difficult to filter out what is true, what is va valuable and what is of interest to us, because there is just so much. And especially on social media, we, there's no sort of validating the content there. And we also don't know... Um, it's, we're, we're so we're fed based on our algorithms of what we've liked and what we've got. We don't actually know what what the potential is or what is out there as a whole because we just have this one feed that is specific to us. Yeah, I was just talking with my mom about this. Yeah, I don't know what kind of thing she's been looking at, but it seems like her Facebook feed is like very negative. And I was like, well, you know, the Facebook eradicator works really well. <laughs> But she's like, no, I like it. So I said, well, Twitter is a little better than Facebook. 
because you can mute keywords. You know, so all the things that annoy you and are just too much, you just do that. But overall, it's you just got to control your environment. You know, like I'll look at it a little bit on, on the socials, but overall, like I'd rather just sit in quiet, go by the pool, read something or, you know, talk with a friend. Like it, it's just all about like you controlling it. You know, the algorithms definitely do want to addict you, but it's an addiction, right? So you, you have to kind of overcome that. But yeah, like reading the news and the socials, like, I don't know. Like I've, I've been off for weeks and I didn't miss anything. So it's more about a control issue, I think. Like people just can't control themselves. They'll eat too much. They go on, you know, watch too much Netflix. They'll do things. And it's it's definitely not healthy. Um, but then as a creator, you know, you got to cut through the noise too, right? Like I always call it the stopping the scrolling zombies, right? Like you, you if you're putting out an ad or content. And yeah, it's a skill to that too, you know, like usually if you can bring clarity, um, become someone's anchor or simplify things, like I find those are the best tactics for cutting through that noise. And then it's all about repeatable viewings, right? So someone might have to see you seven, eight times to actually see you for the first time, right? Like they've seen you before, but it doesn't really connect until like the seven or eight time, but yeah. Like there are still tactics to get around um, all the noise. It just takes consistency. So you mentioned clarity and simplification there and becoming someone's anchor. Yeah. What does becoming someone's anchor actually do for them and for you? You know, with the algorithms, with the, actually like the last 10, 20 years, I mean, everything's uncertain. Right. Like people don't know what's going to happen. Like you might have a job. You might not have a job. This might work. That might not work. You know, like if you read enough um, information about a topic, everything cancels itself out. So becoming an anchor is, is sort of like, you know, being that person that like, you know, the wind is moving, the environment is moving and this person is always solid, always in the same place they're always there they're always in front of you they're saying the same thing nothing really changes and it builds trust it builds trust it builds loyalty and then it's easier to make a sale and connect with the customers you know no one wants uh, so sales is really a transfer of emotion right and nobody wants to buy from someone that's emotionally unstable. It's not a good, you know, um, not a good process. You know, like you can always see, you know, if you, let's, let's say you go to a, to buy a car and if someone's like desperate to sell you or they don't follow up properly, you know, you talk to them, but something's off. Doesn't seem, you know, like they're, they're on the same page that's all the opposite of being an anchor. You know, like a client should be able to hit you with everything they have. And it's usually based on their previous interactions and you just being always the same and clear and, you know, and then kind of cut through it. And it fixes a lot of the problems. Like I found when I have prospects like lashing out sometimes it's because something happened before and I've just like, I address it. 
I completely put it down like, yeah, look, it happened to you. Good. You learn. Now let's move on. But often, you know, brings out like, yeah, yeah, you were right. Like it being an anchor is it's just what people are looking for. They're looking for leaders. You know, everyone's kind of a follower right now in, in a lot of ways. It's pretty sad. So they look for someone that can kind of tell them like, well, this is the right way to move. And, you know, people have always been looking for that if you look at history. But I think now with all the noise, it's even more pre prevalent. So you're one of the rare few people who have taken responsibility for their own life and not sort of looking for others to lead them and have that the answers to the problems you, you faced up and, and created you, the, the solution to your own problem. How does that yeah. feel? Well, how does it feel? It hasn't been easy. You know, it's not like I, I was born with it. Like I, I was always, you know, pretty confident and driven but there's been times in my 20s where I thought, like, maybe I'm doing it wrong because, you know, you mess things up and, you know, things are not going well. And I started looking at some of these, you know, leaders and, you know, I followed one and I was like, OK, this doesn't make any sense. Or I followed that one and I found a few who have been very stable. And I was like, that stability, that calmness, that's really what it's about. You know, and I've kind of replicated on my own. I was like, yeah. Like no one else is going to help me. Like I got to help myself. It was, it was just one of those, you know, times where I just realized playing a victim and follower is not, not going to help, you know, and I've never been much in that camp, but I've, you know, like uh, I came close to, to kind of, you know, like understanding how, how, how it feels and it's easier for sure. You know, being able to blame things on, circumstance or someone else like it's always easier than just looking at yourself and be like yeah maybe i just wasn't good enough maybe you just got to try harder maybe you know it was uh just not a good moment maybe it wasn't the right deal maybe you know like you just you, you look at it differently and after doing that for a while it actually becomes easier because you can control that part like you know i can control what i do i can't control anyone else so even by telling myself like, well, maybe next time you prepare a little more, you do a better job, then at least I'm controlling the situation, right? And whatever outcome, I'll kind of, you know, have a self-talk again. And self-talk's an interesting one to, to go with. <laughs> who, who does your voice or what does it sound like for you? My voice is, uh, is, is a very um, tough love type of individual back there. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a cross of like a drill sergeant and a close family member who's sort of like, you know, like, look, I, I get it, you know, but, and then it goes like, just, you know, go do your thing. Just get it done. Stop, stop complaining, stop whining, like, you know, stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's, you know, not going to help anything. You're not 12 anymore. No one cares about your feelings. <laughs> You say that, you say about no one cares about your feelings, but I've heard a lot of emotion come through this podcast. Yeah, and it's, you know, a lot of it is driven by emotion, but I just don't let them stop me from what we're doing, right? Like, that's like, if I have to accomplish something, I'm like, okay, I'll acknowledge those feelings. And I'm like, well, it's nice, but now it's time to move on, right? Like, you can't, you can't sort of like 
put them to the side, right? Like act like you just don't have them because then things blow up at some point. So I found it is good to kind of acknowledge them like, you know, okay, I can see this and this, this is why. Yeah. But you're not 12 anymore. Like, you know, we've talked about it. You've had your one minute, no time to go. Right. So I'm, I'm really good with controlling my behavior, right? Like I can acknowledge the emotions. Yeah. Okay. I feel something, but that's, that's just, you know, let's move forward now. And it, it, it took a long, a lot of things to kind of go through to realize that this is the best way for me. Right. Like I remember how I handled situations in my twenties and then later, and I realized that hey, this is a much healthier and better way and it moves me forward. Um, so sometimes, you know, controlling an emotion is like when you have a big failure in business, right? And you need that motivation again. And you're just so upset or angry, like, you know, to kind of bottle that and let that, you know, fuel you for the next two, three months to make something happen. And then you're just like, okay, now I need to relax a bit. Things are fine. I don't want to burn out. There's no point being angry or anything anymore. Things are fine. And kind of, you know, smooth sailing for a little bit and then wait till... You know, you need that again. So just using them for kind of good, I would say. And your work right now, Tom, is it a, a passion or is it a fuel to help you towards your passion? Uh, I mean, I have passion for growing businesses, but that's it. I, I don't think the passion is necessary for what you do any more than that. Like if you're not built for running a business, then don't. It's not for everyone. But I don't believe you should be doing what your passion is. That's what a hobby is for, right? Like you have guys like Jay Leno. They love cars. Well, that's not his career, is it? You know, so you always have to look at, if it's your passion, you know, get back to it when you're already made. You know, like that's, that's a better way. Don't try to ruin your passions and hobbies by making them a business. So it's, it's not necessary at all. The only thing you need in business is to provide something that people want. That's it. It's that simple. Make a profit. Hopefully hire some people to take the work off your hands. And then either run the business or sell it and build a new one like you know it's so so for me passion is more about just building things you know and and i yeah i really don't believe in like to follow your passion and do what you you know like no i don't so with your sort of mantra there you you reference that not everyone's built for business and i agree with you and for the people that aren't entrepreneurs and who want to be employees i believe that the focus should be on on aligning their values with the business they're working for so that they become, they're fulfilled and they feel like they belong. Do you believe in that? Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of people are just amazing employees, but if you're an amazing employee, then you better have an amazing business owner guiding you, you know, don't put all that effort and, and put everything on the line for someone that doesn't care or some corporation where you're actually a number, like you look and you're, you're really a number. It doesn't make sense. You know, unless, and I've seen this happen too, like, you know, some companies in certain niches, like in engineering coding, they'll pay you enough where you can sort of do it for a while. 
like Amazon will pay a half a million dollars to some coders. You'll be, okay, I can do this for three, four years so that I can then do whatever I want to, right? So you kind of trade, there's a trade-off. But long-term, you really want to align with something you believe in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a, I think that's a direction that most companies are edging towards. They're realizing that the employee engagement is crucial for, and having a purpose-driven, value-based business is crucial to sort of sustain the the world and the needs and, and being more aware of what the world needs instead of just what they need. It's actually the opposite, I think. What you're talking about is usually the top jobs in those companies. But if you, if you look at all the biggest companies like Amazon and, and you know, these call centers, like there's 30% of all the jobs in America are jobs where humans are basically not being able to get replaced by robots yet. But they want them to be like, like robots. If you look at all of these like warehouse jobs and things, like these people are running on fumes all day. And more and more companies are doing this. So I think when we think about all these companies being like, oh, we're going to bring change and make it like, yeah, that's for only the top positions who've always had to work less. But all the people at the bottom, you know, the outside sales, the call center people, the fulfillment guys, the drivers, there's no one trying to fulfill people in those jobs. Just get it done or you'll get replaced. Like some of them have uh, turnover rates of like 300, 400%. The sales jobs I was in, it was about that too. Every three months, the whole crew was changed. It was that bad. And in some of these jobs, it's even worse. And that's about 30, 40% of all the jobs in America. And I don't know about Europe, but I can't imagine that the laborers are being cared of so much by these companies. They're like, oh yeah, how are your feelings? You know, no clock in or you're fired right so it's it's definitely difficult you know like i don't know what's going to happen when automation and robots really do replace those jobs because then we'll have so many millions of people that uh, you know i don't know what's going to happen with them but right now when i look at it like i mentioned you know those people older people living in rvs chasing these seasonal jobs if you read about what's actually happening there there's no fulfillment. It's just a grind for three months to make enough money so they don't have to do it for the next nine. But it's horrible. Like Amazon actually has painkiller dispensing machines and ambulances on call. They found it's easier than giving people time off to just, you know, get them to a get them like to, to take 10 painkillers and if they actually pass out, they'll just have an ambulance take them from the place. No health benefits. So it's, I don't think companies are actually doing this. Maybe some startups, you know, we find it in the tech scene. But that's the problem of us being in a bubble. What's happening around us and some of these tech companies, it's not what most people have to deal with. That's, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I, I, I just, I would ho be hoping that companies are working towards that. And I work with, as you say, smaller companies that have that as their, their drive and their focus. And you also see the, the big corporate mission statements and vision statements echoing that, but are they actually living it? And you're saying they're not. They're not, no. And the one thing I learned 
is, and this is all about unlearning what you've been taught when you're younger. If you go to a bigger corporation, it's much safer than a small company. It's usually the opposite. Actually being in a smaller company is much safer and better than being at a big corporation. Like if you're in a team of 10 and it's making a profit and the business owner is like someone you talk to, that's actually, you know, you're going to feel that. You will feel all those benefits. Where the big company, you're just a number that's got to clock in, clock out. If not, they got, I remember one job that I was in, in sales. I think this was for Nestle. They said 40,000 people applied for that same position that I got. So, you know, like I used them, I, you know, I, I went to a train thing and I left, you know, cause they wanted to use me, I used them. But when you really think about that, if you had to keep that job, right? They can do whatever they want, knowing they have 40,000 people trying to replace you immediately. That's not a good feeling. And then there, there's nothing there that's gonna make them want to give you any type of, I don't know, those benefits that the small company would because it just doesn't make sense for them, right? It's all about the numbers. Just hit your numbers or go. And I've worked for some smaller companies too, and it was much different. Yeah, there's still some shady owners and you find it out quick and you're just like, look, I'm out. But if you find the right one, you can have a great job and great career and actually feel like family in those places. It's, it's very different. And it's interesting you just said family because what I've been hearing throughout this whole podcast is that you, you focused on yourself and then you focused on your sort of family, your tight, immediate family, and then sort of your little bit wider. But your circle of influence is actually quite small. And that is how really we are all operating. Yeah, just some of us don't acknowledge it. You know, like I always say, like, I'd rather have, you know, a, a thousand really good customers, you know, 10 really good friends and family than whatever these millions of, the, you know, like I, I, I work much better with those like tighter circles and I can, I can provide better outcomes. I can connect better. Um, we're also not meant to be in huge groups. You know, it's just not how we're designed. So for me, it's, you know, like I'm always trying to cut people out so I can get the right ones in. Like the, um, that's much more of my focus than just building an audience, building lists. I'm like, eh, can I get rid of some of these and replace them? I think that's, that's usually, you know, much, much better for me. Get the right people, get the ones I can actually connect with than just having a big number. Uh, yeah, I've always been that way. It's really important. And you can't actually physically serve people and give them your time properly. And if you're trying to, to please too many people, it just doesn't work that way. No. And, and it's just not the company I want to run. Like I've, I've looked at, you know, some of the numbers and anything past, you know, like four or 5,000 customers, it's already too big. I find like I, I need smaller, um, smaller numbers because then I can keep my team small and I can, you know, be more, um, more helpful with all of them. Otherwise, like, you know, then we have to put gatekeepers in place and all this stuff. And then again, I'm completely detached and disconnected from what's happening. Well, I don't feel that you are detached from what's happening in the world. I feel you've got a very good grip on everything, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your, your why you do what you do with everybody. How would people get in touch with you, Tom, if they wanted to reach out? What's the best way of doing that? 
Uh, the best way is to go to smartbrandmarketing.com. That's the website where I run everything from. And there's a contact link. Just you can reach out to me. Like I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of. And also you've got a podcast. Yep. That's the same one. Smart brand marketing. Yeah, it doesn't come out as much as yours anymore. Um, but that's because we've been so much busier with other projects. And initially the podcast was about networking. But again, once I built my network, then that kind of drove me less. Like I don't need as many new people now around. So we still put out episodes, but it's not as as much as I've seen you doing. Well, there's there's reasons for that because I reached out to a lot of people and, and nobody said no because everybody was very keen to share their why and because of its importance in in their lives and how it's affected the people around them. So, but again, with your marketing, a lot of what you've you've been saying will stand true. So there's no need to sort of go over the same subjects if you've already put out a great content there. It's it's an asset that people can dip into when they need to. Yeah, that's that's what I've been um, thinking too. Like a lot of the episodes we've done are evergreen. So I can just be like, well, you can listen to it. There's nothing that changed really. Um, and repeating myself, yeah, it's not, not something I like to do. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. Have you got a final message for the audience today, please, Tom? I think think in systems and then build your life and, and your business around systems, you know, because that's that's the thing that can set you free in a lot of ways. A system is something where you can do it long-term, right? That brings results all the time. And then hopefully you can have someone else take over at some point. And that's really the only way to gain freedom. And when it comes to your life, it's the same thing. Like you have a system where you know where your workout clothes are. You go to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's just something you do. That, that's just a part of your system. That's what you need to keep tuned. And it's not sporadic and it's something you can do long-term, right? So I, I do a lot with systems. Like everything pretty much in my life now was ran by systems. Like I need to do things for myself mentally, for my business, for my health. And there, it's all systems, long-term, no hustles, no run-in, do 50 things and then stop. Like everything is sort of a, a long-term play. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.